Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pursuit of Service podcast. Today we have a special patriotic episode where we're going to look back at history and some of the lessons uh, that our forefathers can teach us about leadership. And we'll start basically with the premier Independence Day document, the Declaration of Independence. And really there's a framework uh, that models leadership for us. And that's one of the things that we'll discuss today. So grab your notebook, take some notes. This is stuff you'll be able to apply um, and take to your teams, to your families, to your organizations. All right. Happy Independence Day, Brian. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing, my friend? Happy Independence Day to you, too. Yep. Yep. Everything's going great. Well, good. I know it's been about a month since our last get together. Uh, lots been going on in the world. Lots been going on in your life. And it's just great to, to get back together and talk about this and very, very important topic we're going to deal with today. Yeah, it's timely. And the Independence Day weekend is always fun. Uh, it's always patriotic and fireworks and all that. So it's just a great uh, time to appreciate the country that we live in. Yeah, definitely. And you and I were talking, you know, before we got on here, just all the incredible things that we as Americans have uh, that uh, has been afforded to us. And a lot of people have really sacrificed and did a lot of extraordinary things so that we could have the freedoms that we do. And yeah, it's just a, it's just a privilege to talk about. It's a privilege to talk about it with you because you have such a unique perspective on this topic. And uh, yeah, so I know you want to, we want to look at the Declaration of Independence itself and get some, some real key leadership lessons out of it that leaders of, of, of all walk of life can apply. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think it's worth, and I highly recommend to anybody, especially in America, to read the Declaration of Independence and to read the Constitution. I mean, it's just, it's helpful and it's valuable to just be educated um, on what those documents state, obviously the history around it, but even if you're not gonna go into a full-fledged history, just review those, those writings, they're fairly short. Um, and just kind of understand what they say on a basic level. Yeah, and if you haven't done that for a while, I got good news for you. Jeff's going to help us out with that today. So, That's so right. yeah, if you miss civics class back in middle school, you, you got a chance to catch up and put some modern uh, adult um, perspective on it. And uh, so, Jeff, let's just kind of dive in. I mean, I know that there, we're going to talk about three things, three leadership lessons, and obviously we're going to oversimplify an extraordinarily complex and important document. Mm. But just for some practical usage, I know there's three things that, uh, that really kind of stick out to you and I as we were talking about this very important document. So let's start with the very first one, and let's just talk about Leaders must define reality. That is the fundamental role of leadership is the, is the definition and defining reality. So walk us through the Declaration of Independence, how it did that. Yeah, and our, our friend and pastor, Dr. Ike Riker, likes to say that uh, a leader's first job is to define reality and then provide hope. Um, and just as I was reading through the Declaration of Independence today, I noticed that that's exactly what that document does. So we'll discuss those those points and, and three uh, highlights. Um, and I'll just jump right in. I'm not going to read the whole document, but I'm going to read chunks of it that highlight those things. So the first one is leaders define current conditions or a current state of the world. 
Um, so the declaration starts, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected with them, connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So just to pause there, the first thing they say is when things have gone awry, then we're obligated to do something about it. That's mm. just the fundamental state of the world. It goes on. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. So again, state of the reality, nothing but truth here. All men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it goes on there. And then the next section um, continues to list the state of the world as, as it were at the time with all the injustices and tyrannies that Great Britain had imposed upon the, the colonies. So there's a long list of them. And then it finishes this section with the history of the present King of Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. So here's the way the world is. Here are the rights that we have. Here's what we should do. And here is the list of tyrannies held against us. So what a foundation set by defining the state of the world as it was at the time. Yeah, listening to you read that, under the definition of define reality, there were two statements that really jumped out at me. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Hmm. And second, let the facts be submitted. Yes. And I think as leaders, you know, there, there comes time, whether it's leading our family, looking at our financial situation, leading our companies, if you're in athletics, looking at your team, uh, you know, analyzing your culture, you know, you know, Jim Collins calls it confront the brutal facts. You know, that's, that's what he refers to it as. Yep. Um, but there comes a time in leadership that we have to let the, you know, let the facts be submitted and realize that certain truths are self-evident. Here's what we're dealing with. This is a fact. And, um, and yeah, I think, as you said, they came right out of the gate defining reality in their initial comments. Yeah, it's so deep. There's so many layers to that section, uh, along with the facts, um, along with the dispositions. They're alluding to their principles and their beliefs. I mean, everything being endowed by their creator. We'll talk mm -hmm. about this kind of later in the conversation, but these are unalienable rights. Uh, those all come from a, a Christian worldview. Before Jesus, the fact that all men being created equal or have unalienable rights was completely unheard of. And that originated from Jesus, which greatly informed that sense of um, that sense of value that, that they had for all people. Yeah, you know, and you sit here in the year 2021 and you look at where we are today from a religious freedom standpoint that's built upon the foundation laid by our forefathers. Um, got a couple of stats today. I actually got these from a website uh, called Chuck uh, Lawson, chucklawson.com. Incredible website. I often recommend it. But he made a, a couple of observations. 
in America, it is very possible, and I know it's true for the Dodd household, you have more Bibles in your home than you do people. Hmm. And in America, the Bible is presented to us in English. We buy English Bibles, you know. Uh, here's the interesting thing. There are 7,300 known languages in the world. Only 700 of them have the Bible in their language. So wow. in essence, less than 10% of all languages have the Bible in their language. We have that as Americans. Yep. And we take and look, I, I'm, the, I'm the chief of sinners. We take that for such granted that on Sunday morning, sometimes we, we have that, honey, where's my Bible conversation? Yeah. Honey, I can't find my Bible. Uh, this Sunday, which the date we're recording this, it, it, it is prior to July 4th, uh, this Sunday, more people will have more of God's word preached to them and hear more of the gospel than 4 billion people on this planet will in a lifetime. And what's so staggering about that, once again, in America, we just take the, the freedom for granted. Uh, you know, honey, do we feel like going to church today or I'm tired or it's a long weekend or, hey, it's holiday. The pastor's not speaking. Let's sleep in or go out of town. Yeah, you know, we just take that for such granted. And obviously in America, um, you know, we can share our faith openly. We can wear our church's T-shirt to the restaurant, you know, or to yep. the ball game. You know, we can congregate without fear of, you know, a military or police intervention. Uh, you know, these these things we get in America because of what those forefathers did laying the foundation for it. Yeah. My reaction to some of those states uh, or stats that you just stated are are optimism. I'm encouraged by that. That gives me hope to think that hey, you're right, in this country, as much as you know, we like to look at the news and, and feel discouraged, it gives me a great deal of hope to think that, yeah, in a lot of homes, there's more Bibles than people. I mean, we have that across our country. I'm, I'm encouraged to, to think that um, only 10% of the world has the Bible, not because that's enough, but because there's a huge opportunity to reach that other 90%. So right. there's lots of work to do and lots of impact to be had. So that gives me hope. And that leads me to the second point of the Declaration of Independence. And the second job of a leader or, or part, you know, part B of the first job is leaders provide hope and direction. So towards the end of the document, it reads, after, after listing the state of the world and all these tyrannies, it reads, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions do in the name and authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the british crown and that all political connection between them and the state of great britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states they have the full power to levy war conclude peace contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all the other acts and things which independent states may of right do. So they laid the direction of where we're going. Based on everything that they talked about in the state of the world, this was the direction that they set. They said it clearly. They said it thoroughly, you know, in a short document, pretty conclusively and, and detailed. And to anybody in the world at that time, that sense of direction 
provided a great deal of hope. Yeah. You know, when, when we start talking about the, the two topics of hope and direction, uh, leaders are dealers of hope. You know, if you're not providing hope and optimism as a leader, I mean, let, let's just put it in very practical terms. Why would anybody follow you anywhere unless it's to a brighter tomorrow? Yep. If it's the same as it is today, we'll just keep what we got. If it's worse than it is today, then th that's obviously not a trade worth making. Yep. So leaders always have to provide hope. But here's the deal. You only get so many hopeful, optimistic speeches before your people are like, yeah, I've heard that before. It's a great speech, but nothing ever happens. So you have to have the direction with the hope that says, okay, this is not just feeling. This is not just motivation. This is facts. And this yep. is the direction we're going. And this is why the, the hope can be trusted. The hope can be counted on. The hope can be relied upon. And it's hope worth pursuing. And they did an incredible job in that document. And ultimately, we saw them, saw them live it out, which, which is great. Yeah. And, and the last part here, you know, to your point is you can't just talk about the direction, but you got to do it and act it. And so the third point is that leaders commit to and sacrifice for that direction that they've laid out. So the very last sentence of the Declaration of Independence is, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So without even getting into all the work and the war and the fighting and the lives lost, and you know, there was so much in terms of uh, you know, political debates and compromise and setting up a whole new government, aside from all that work that was put in for you know, for years before and after this declaration, they pledge their lives, fortunes, and their sacred honor. That's commitment and that sacrifice for that direction that they had laid out. Yeah, it's the fine print of the leadership contract, anyone who takes any leadership position, okay, um, is leaders go first and leaders pay the greatest price. And, you know, leaders are the first ones through the wall. You know, they're, you know, that's what leaders do. Leaders, leaders are a picture of the desired destination in which others should wish to arrive. That's, that's right. what leaders do. And, uh, and once again, these men were, were obviously extraordinarily skilled communicators, you know, to draft such a document, extraordinarily skilled thinkers, extraordinarily skilled visionaries but they were extraordinarily skilled people of action as well. Mm -hmm. And they could, and, and extraordinarily skilled in the area of execution. And uh, as you said, Jeff, that totally comes through when you read those words that you just read. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson has a quote that I love. It says, if you want something you've never had, you must be willing to do something you've never done. And if that's not the pinnacle of taking action, I mean, that's got to be the foundation and the motivation to to go through all these things. So, I mean, it's not an easy road a lot of times, and they certainly didn't have one, but they were committed to it. Yeah. So, so Jeff, as we kind of wrap up this time, I mean, this is three great things. Define reality, provide hope and direction, and then commit to the hope and direction. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to be honest, I'm kind of looking at that as a three-legged stool, and each stool has to be there. If you're going to, you know, 
you know, former great team, former great organization, former great church, former great country. Yep. You know, those, those three things must be there. Yep. That's right. Well said. Okay. All right. So, um, as we kind of kind of transition now, I guess we're going to slide into our what are you learning segment. Yep. So let me ask you this. I mean, you, you've taught us a ton and, uh, you know, you've taken some concepts and, and just in a genius way, gave us some great simplicity and action steps. What are you learning personally? Uh, so I started reading a book recently by Daniel Kahneman. It's his, his most recent one. It's called Noise, A Flaw in Human Judgment. Um, and it's very rich and very detailed. Take me a while to get through, I think, mostly because I'm a slow reader. But ba basically what it's about is um, the difference between bias and noise in different systems, mostly evolving people. Um, so, for example, the visual that he gives is if you have uh, if you're at a firing range and you have a shot group, you know, with your weapon and there, it's a tight group, but it's always kind of off to one side. That's bias. But if there's no rhyme or reason and the shots are all over the place, that's noise. So noise is simply unexplained variability. And then so as it applies to society, the examples that he goes through are things like when people with the exact charged with the same crime or found guilty and convicted of the same crime um, have wildly different sentences, that's not a sort of unexplained noise. So in other words, if your sentence depends on whatever judge you happen to get at that time. That's a very noisy thing or, or different um, judgments on insurance claims based on the adjuster that you get and things like that, just unexplained variances and he quantifies and he's an academic of course and, and that sort of thing. So I'm kind of learning about, about noise across society. So very interesting, very deep. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, it, look, human beings are different people. No two people are the same and so therefore i'm just sitting here listening to you and i'm thinking you're getting variances in every area of your life the way you get treated at one restaurant is completely different than the same restaurant at a different restaurant based upon your server and the cook and things of that nature just wild variances um that's just one example and obviously a lot less important than the judicial system but because people are different, I'm, I'm with you. You're going to get a myriad of variances in any singular, you know, institution or field. So uh, here's what I'm learning. You, you know, you mentioned, Jeff, and you unpacked it brilliantly, define reality. The American church right now is defining reality. If somebody were to say to me, what's the number one, I, th I think there's two things they're dealing with, and you can actually embed the second one into the first one. As I talk to churches all over the country, it's defining reality. Who are we post-pandemic? Who's coming back? Who's not coming back? Who found another church during the pandemic? Because, of course, when you say go online, you can listen to anybody, you know, and, are, you know, are they going somewhere else? Who did we pick up? You know, so you had a front door and a back door. Uh, you know, what program should we launch? What program should we kill? Based upon that, what should our new staffing model look like? You know, how's the budget going to be affected? Except, you know, only 40 to 50% and most churches have returned. Uh, so churches right now are probably going to spend a year, in my opinion, 
probably till say Easter of 2022 or into summer 2022, defining their current new reality. Or maybe even discovering it. Yeah. Relearning it. And one mm -hmm. thing I've, I've noticed in, in all things over the last 18 months um, is, and this includes church, my, my small groups, um, business associations, other volunteer organizations I'm involved with is we're not picking up where we left off in, in February of 2020. We're yeah. starting over. A lot of it is starting over. And I think that for me, what I've learned about that perspective is it's a lot less discouraging because if you expect to pick up where you left off in a world where you're starting over, you're going to be disappointed. But if yeah. you know you're starting over, then that changes your approach and your attitude, frankly. Yeah. And I think everyone's struggling with it on a different level. You know, that's the variances again. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, no one's been through a pandemic before. And therefore, no one's been through a post-pandemic before. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I think realities like you just pointed out, hey, this is a new start. We're not picking up where we left off. Things like that. Um, yeah. The thing I'm just learning, though, is churches are just going to go through a season where they have to define and discover their new reality. Yep. Well said. Well, Brian, this is a great conversation. Patriotic. I love this country. I love talking about it. I know you do, my friend. And and once again, I mean, everybody like you, Jeff, um, you know, who has served our country, nothing, nothing but absolute appreciation and thanks. And, uh, you know, I just pray that everybody who hears this, uh, if you haven't had a ch chance to think about and remember guys like Jeff and all those in our armed forces and all our first responders, uh, definitely go ahead and say a prayer of thanks for them and ask for God's safety and blessing on their lives. And uh, yeah, happy fourth, my friend. Absolutely. So I'm going to wrap this up with a little bonus idea here from one of the quintessential leaders of the time of the forefathers, and that's George Washington. And this coincides with kind of the idea of servant leadership. And he said this in, a, in, in an address to the military officers of the Virginia regiment about a year after, or I'm sorry, uh, a little bit before the Declaration of Independence. And he says, remember that it is the actions and not the commission that make the officer and that there is more expected from him than the title. To serve others, not as a task, but as a purpose.